Today's passage is John 13, 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He th- then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What am I doing? What am I doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand? Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not only wash do not Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Hannah. This is a wonderful day, a day we have a chance to celebrate and to enjoy the best of of what God has done in bringing us together as a church, uh, in celebrating how he's blessed us in so many other ways as well. And so I pray that uh, today you would be led in thanksgiving in a way, uh, and, and to know what God has done for each and every one of us, for you too. Uh, I, w- I want to open with a uh, an illustration about a scene from a movie that it's kind of a heavy movie, but it has this powerful and beautiful uh, scene at the end. Uh, the movie is called Blood Diamond uh, from about 15 years ago or so. It has a story of a, of a man named, uh, well, the actor, Academy Award winning actor, Jimon Honsu, plays Solomon Vandy, and he's a, a fisherman in a village in Africa, and, and he is, uh, while he's out, uh, this uh, this warlord comes in and kidnaps all the young boys, all the children, and including his own son, Dia uh, Vandy. And he, when he comes back from wherever he's been fishing, he sees that all this has happened, and he goes after, resolves to go find his lost son. 
Now, it takes a while because of how all this works, and he has to hire someone to help help him track down where his son has been taken. But his son has been not only kidnapped, but brainwashed and taught to be, at the age of, I think he's 10 or so in this movie, maybe 9, to be a a soldier and to go and to raid more villages like the one they just raided. And he learns, first he's resistant, but his son eventually learns to take on the role of a soldier and to kill mercilessly and such. And towards the end of the movie, after an incredible journey that cost Solomon almost all he owns, he finally reaches his son, Dia. And when he finds his son, his son almost doesn't recognize him. And his son even pulls a gun on his own father. And he says this, to his son, while his son is ready to kill him. He says, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me, look at me, what are you doing? You are Dia Vendi of the proud Mendi tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nianda and the new baby. The cows wait for you and Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me and be my son again. And after he says this, the boy eventually, his son Dia eventually melts and eventually lowers his weapon and embraces his father, and they go home. Now, I, I, I want to open this, uh, our time together with this uh, story because it's one, it's one of the best ways I could illustrate what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus did not just come holding up a sign saying, hey, if anyone wants to believe in me, uh, you can do so, and here's how. Uh, he didn't go and just meet people and then you know, a while later say, hey, by the way, there's this thing about me saving you that we should talk about sometime. Like, he pursues people. He pursues us. And we see him in this passage pursuing Peter. Pursuing Peter. We looked at this passage last week and we saw how, how crazy it was what Jesus was doing to begin with, that he would wash his disciples' feet and what that means for us, that we then would be uh, a foot-washing community as Jesus commands us to do so. And how revolutionary, and really that is so revolutionary in, in our culture even today. Uh, and, but then Peter has some pushback. And it, it's beautiful how, how John lays this out. You know, John is... Uh, he is. Uh, he likes patterns. He likes. Uh, he likes perfection. And, and just as as Jesus has these seven actions, seven is a number in the Bible that denotes perfection. You know, Jesus has these seven actions in washing the disciples' feet. How he he gets up from the table and he wraps the towel around him. And there's these seven steps that he does. In a similar way, Peter has three reactions to Jesus. Then uh, he says, wait, wait, you wash my feet? And then, well, you'll never wash my feet. And then thirdly, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head and my whole body. And uh, Jesus has these three responses for Peter as well. He's pursuing Peter in the midst of his uh, objections, in the midst of his reactions to what Jesus is doing. And as we look at this, I want us, I hope that we can all understand better how we can relate to Jesus and how he pursues even you. And so we'll look at this, that, that yes, we know, and many of you probably grew up in, maybe you grew up in church, maybe not. Uh, if you grew up in church, uh, you probably understand God's love. You know, I could probably say, hey, do you believe this? And you'll say, yes. 
Do you believe this about God's love? Yes. Uh, it's one thing to understand about God's love, but uh, when we think of it applying to us in the way that we typically think of it applying to others, it can be difficult and so uh, and transformative as difficult as it is. So we'll find it one, we can find it one hard to believe, two, hard to receive. But three, it's better than life. And there's only one way to have it. So one, hard to believe, two, hard to receive, but three, better than life itself. And there's only one way, that is the only way to have it. So first we're going to look at how Jesus' love presented to the disciples in this way is hard to believe. It is, and it ought to shock, it shocks Peter, it ought to shock each and every one of us too, that God would love in this way. Jesus comes to Simon Peter, he's washing his disciples' feet, and Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter says, well, wait a minute, you're going to wash my feet? You are going to wash my feet? The way in the Greek, the way the sentence is structured, the emphasis is on you. It's like, wait, you're going to wash my feet here, Jesus? Now, wait a he, Peter might think, okay, you can wash the other's feet, but you know, no. Uh, and uh, washing feet was a normal thing, a very normal thing that happened in that culture, as we talked about last week. But uh, he thought, no, not you, Lord. You wouldn't do that in this case. So there have been a couple times that uh, I've been in, I don't know if this happens anymore, uh, I've been in a really fancy restaurant, and I'll go use the restroom, and there's a restroom attendant sitting in the restroom. And if you've ever been in a restroom like that, I wouldn't know where to find one. You know, if I told you, hey, go to this restaurant, I, don't, I can't remember if there's any around here, but maybe it's an old thing, but there'd be a, a guy or a woman in a woman's restroom. Uh, there'd be a guy in the guy's room, like, sitting there waiting to, like, you know, near the sink, hand you a, a nice towel to dry your hands with. He would also have, like, mints and gum or mouthwash and other things. That, like, that's his job, as he's supposed to, or her job in the women's room, uh, to, like, hand, to help you freshen up and all that. And, uh, you know, when I first ran into this, I think I was in high school, and I'd never seen this before, and I thought, well, this is kind of novel. It's a little weird that he's just sitting there the whole time. I kind of feel bad for him, like, but, you know, either way, uh, Peter would probably be somewhat accustomed. He was from the working class, so maybe he's somewhat accustomed. He's heard of foot washers, and maybe it, maybe it was a normal thing for him. I don't know. Maybe it was a novelty. Maybe it was weird. Uh, but it definitely shocked him to see Jesus as the foot washer, see Jesus as the bathroom attendant, if you will, in our culture today. That a rabbi would wash his disciples' feet? No, a disciple might wash his rabbi's feet, uh, but then there would also be this understanding usually that there'd be servants to wash the disciples' and the rabbi's feet, but for the rabbi to wash the disciples' feet? This was shocking. And uh, Jesus, in all this, remember... Had he's doing this to show the full extent of his love. It's not just something he's doing to break the tension. He's not, he's not trying to be awkward for no reason. Like Jesus is, as we talked about last week a little bit, he is loving to the end. In verse 3 or verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1 actually, uh, having loved, uh, knowing that he was his hour had come and he's going to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And that, that yes, that means that he's going to love them until his end, until his death. He's going to love them until the end of time. Yes, but in, in this case, the end is a word that means uh, completely. A word that means he loved him, loved them completely. That is to show the full extent of God's love 
for humankind. He came not just to tell his disciples about him and hey, here's how you can how you can believe in me and be saved here. No, but he pursued his disciples and loved them to the full extent of God's condescension to us, his humiliation really to us in being our savior. That there was nothing too low for him to do, that he would go even to wash the feet of his own disciples. And he says this is how we ought to live then in, in, uh, towards one another. But this is shocking. And it ought to be shocking. This is why songs like Amazing Grace are written. This is why uh, even John, John's Gospel is set up to, to, to bring about this huge contrast. As you think of, of Jesus being perfect with his three responses to Peter's three reactions, his seven steps, seven another perfect number, in washing his disciples' feet. That the perfect God would show his perfection and completion of love through this kind of service. Now this ought to indeed astound us. And it astounds even Peter. Now it means, of course, first of all, before we move on, that that there's no one so low that God won't save them. And that, that you and I, no matter how low or how big a failure we may feel at a given moment, there's, we're never beyond God's love. Never beyond His reach. That His promise to love us remains even still. That it, there's no place too low for Him. But Peter doesn't get it, right? He doesn't get it. And sometimes maybe we, we might not get it. Because Peter thinks, no, wait a minute, aren't we going towards like this big new world order? Aren't we going to see this big kingdom come? Uh, and like he's thinking an earthly kingdom. And Jesus says, well, you know what? Afterward, you will understand. Hereafter, after these things take place, you'll understand. Uh, after, after, after what things? Jesus doesn't say yet. But later, they would know. After he rose from the dead. Of course, they'd begin to piece all this together. Ah, that's what Jesus meant. Now, Jesus is actually incredibly patient in his leadership here with Peter, who is being very slow, but he's pursuing him with love. He's leading his disciples in this way. Now, in leading his disciples in this shocking way, it brought to mind a couple more movies. Uh, there are going to be a lot of movies, I think. Maybe in my sermon today. Maybe because I just associate holidays with movies. I don't know why. Uh, watch a lot of them. But either way, there's a, a couple movies that came to mind. Lord of the Rings, Braveheart, both of those have scenes, battle scenes, where the leader, even if they had been on a horse before, they get off the horse and stand like their other fellow soldiers. And to go into battle, the leader doesn't stand there, whether it's William Wallace or Aragorn, doesn't say, all right, go fight. It actually starts by the king or William Wallace, the rebellion leader, running towards the enemy. And uh, in the end, everyone else, all the other soldiers, are running after them to catch up because they don't want their leader to be left alone on the battlefield. So they're running ahead, putting their own lives at risk So uh, in the cause of, of ultimate victory against evil. Now, uh, racing to keep up with them. And of course, in Lord of the Rings, there's that beautiful... It's a beautiful scene because Aragorn runs out and then the next two people to go are little hobbits. And it's this wonderful, charming scene that they are the ones who are the bravest among the other men. Um, 
I think Peter understands this and is ready to run ahead with Jesus in how he's going to bring his kingdom uh, to, to happen. Uh, they were celebrating the Passover here. They anticipated that when they went to Jerusalem, there might be some confrontation and some conflict, but that ultimately there would be a coronation at the end. Uh, they were willing to boldly lead with Jesus, but Jesus flips it to boldly lead and risk by washing feet. As you see this, to risk by washing feet, there is risk in serving. And almost even more risk. It's one thing yet to lead in battle. In that one, you might be killed. But to take a risk in serving, your reputation could be killed. Your reputation could be killed. But in both cases, you do because it's what the kingdom coming about requires. And in the kingdom of God, the warfare there doesn't have so much to do with seeking power and influence on the earth. But Jesus says with serving others. Throughout history, the powerful have fought to have power, to have more power, and to keep the power they have. And all the while, the church has been quietly ministering to orphans and widows and the poor. And it's like every now and then the, the powerful look around and they see hospitals, they see orphanages, they see homeless shelters, and they, they see the work that Christians have done, and they think, well, what's going on there? Why are they doing that? And there are many at King's Cross that I celebrate that oh, you are running as you serve. You are running uh, full force, and I love it. And that is so much a part of our mission, so much a part of, of what we're doing here, sharing life, worshiping together, making disciples, showing mercy to the broken and needy. Uh, we are a community of foot washers running in the direction of washing one another's feet. Uh, you know, in a startup corporation, maybe some of you understand this, uh, you don't necessarily have really tightly defined job descriptions. In a startup, you might have fewer employees and you may have to just do whatever needs to be done. And in the same way, that's where we are at King's Cross. And it's so encouraging to see people jump in and say, hey, I'm all in and I'm going to, and, uh, and just, hey, what needs to be done? I've had people, when they become new members, ask, well, how can I serve? And, and, uh, you know, I've, uh, is there any way that you need help with, with leadership or anything? And, and I, you know, it's, it took me, someone asked me this a while ago, and as I reflected, it brought me great joy to look out and realize that, that a lot of the people that, I don't know, maybe you consider leaders, tend to be the people who are just really all in serving. The people who are, uh, who are always there, always serving, always helping. It really is a beautiful thing to see uh, how uh, we are a church more and more and more that is jumping all in. Uh, now, the problem is we don't always feel like that. We don't always feel like serving. Uh, we don't always feel like uh, being all in. Uh, and what gets in the way? Well, let me say that as we look at how God's love may be hard to believe, uh, it's also hard to receive. And, and sometimes this receiving of it, it really has a lot to do with, with how, how eager we are to jump all in. And this is, this is for all of us here. So hard to receive. Hard to believe is also hard to receive. So there are two ways Peter responds here. Peter is, uh, first, he says, no, wait a minute, you shouldn't wash me. No, never wash me, in fact. Never, no, not ever, into infinity and beyond is essentially what he says. And uh, then Jesus says, well, you know, you, uh, you can't have any share with me unless I do wash you. And so we hear Peter's third and final reaction, his, his other response, where he says, well, then not just my feet, but wash my head, my hands, wash all of me as well. 
Now, it could be out of respect for Jesus' holiness, right? After all, Moses uh, fell on his face before God when he, was, when he talked to him at the burning bush. Uh, Joshua fell on his face when he was speaking to God's angel, his messenger. Uh, John, the author of this gospel, later was exiled after Jesus died and rose again. Uh, the church had been, uh, had been persecuted in many ways, and John became a prisoner, on, exiled on an island called Patmos. And while he was there, the Lord came to him in a vision and gave him essentially the words of the book of Revelation. And as he came to him, John fell on his face, he says, as though dead. And there's also this, this, uh, this idea of being around Jesus. Like You can feel his holiness. You, you, you know it. You're aware of it if your heart is inclined toward him at all. Uh, John the Baptist said to those who were coming to be baptized way before Jesus started his ministry, I baptize with water, but among you stands one. You do not know one who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. So if there was a wealthy house with multiple servants and maybe one servant would untie a shoe, the next servant would wash the feet, John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. Isaiah also had a similar reaction. Woe is me. Um, this could be what Peter is feeling, a sense of, no, why should you wash my feet? And he indeed says, you know, never to the end of the age, never to infinity and beyond, right? Which is an amazing contrast with Jesus loving his disciples to the end. And Peter saying, no, never to the end. Jesus is loving him to the end. Now, this is probably, this is a very common response, but we we get more of this, and his response, there's more light shed on it as he keeps going with his, uh, as he gets deeper into his, into his rejection of Jesus' offer. Um, it's normal to not want someone to serve you, first of all. It's normal to not want that. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think, a family tradition that, that my family growing up had. And this was a tradition of, of playing bingo. And, and as we all got together, I was talking with somebody about family gatherings. And my, my mom grew up in a home with uh, seven siblings. And as uh, they grew up and as uh, all some of them had kids and, you know, my grandparents' uh, two-slash-three-bedroom home, if you count the basement, uh, was just like the place of gathering. And it was one thing when we were all five or six, all of us cousins, like have 15 people gather. As we got bigger and bigger, it just became a mess. Uh, like we could not fit. But we would play this game, so we started renting the, like another, like almost a, a conference room somewhere else. But as uh, as bingo went along, you know, you would win, you'd, you'd get a bingo, you'd call numbers, and uh, four people, five people would win bingo, maybe ten people would win bingo. Then you finally clear the cards and start over. And after a while, if you didn't win bingo, you'd get nominated for charity bingo. So if you hadn't won yet, if your cards were just that unlucky, they would say, uh, who hasn't won yet? And if you hadn't won, I mean, for me, other people probably didn't care. For me, it was like a walk of shame. It's like saying, I have not won yet. And, and they would say, give him a charity bingo. And I'm like, that is the one thing I do not want at all, is something that I feel I deserve. And, and there was one uh, Christmas, or a couple of Christmases, there was a, a hospital chaplain who wrote occasional op-eds for the local Kansas paper and, uh, and wrote, wrote about this interaction. Uh, he thought it was amusing that a pastor would struggle to receive charity. And, uh, and yet it's so true. 
these, they're just little things that I feel I deserve, uh, or I just don't want to receive charity. I don't want to get something that I can't pay back. And I, you know, I, would, I say that I don't want to ever be in a transactional relationship. Like There's so much about a relationship that is always about I'll give and then I'll take and I'll give and I'll take and it's always measured, it's always you know, a proportional. Uh, like, you know, we know we don't want that, and yet I can't help but see that I tend to want that because it just feels safer because it's so uncomfortable to receive and, and, and just to receive. It can be difficult. Love can be difficult to receive. And well, so then Peter goes on, right? And, and he says, uh, well, Jesus says, well, you can't have any share with me unless you let me wash your feet. And then Peter does this, has this great line. Well, then not just my feet, but all of me. Wash all of me, which is really captures, it's really the core assumption of all world religions. It's really the core assumption and the core attitude of, of really our default heart in seeking God. Like we default, as a default, we assume that for God to love us, we have to be cleaner. So there's got to be something we can do to become cleaner. And, and if, hey, if Jesus washing us is what it takes, then that's great. If there's some, a number of washings that we can do to make us pure before God, if there's a number of prayers that we could do to make us pure before God, if there's some kind of amount of Bible reading we could do or some kind of amount of charitable giving proportional to our income that we could do that would make us closer to God, you're like, sign me up for that. That is the core of the attitude behind every world religion. In fact, the core attitude behind what is broken about Christianity and isn't Christianity, but what is Christianity is actually receiving this gift. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not anything to do with how much I clean you. It's that I'm showing the full extent of my love. And it may be hard to receive because you know you don't deserve it. But I'm giving it to you as a gift, Peter. I'm giving it to you. And there's no gesture of piety, Peter, that I require of you. No gesture of piety that can, piety that can make me love you more. But, and this is, you know, Peter had a knack for saying things too that, that were true and maybe even true beyond what he understood. Like, you know, he, he even said, hey, you're the Christ, the, the son of the living God. Like he said that when people asked who he was, he said that before knowing even what that meant, that Jesus would have to go and die uh, for our sins, being the Christ, and that he would rise again, being sinless. There's so much that Peter sometimes says without realizing it. Uh, so he says, wash all of me. Well, yes, Peter, you do need to be clean, but you're missing it. Now, this really also, as the core of all world religions, is also uh, essentially what the Pharisees were doing too. And Peter is saying in this reaction, hey, just make me, let's be better than the Pharisees, right? But, all right, so like the Pharisees think that there's things that they do, certain washings that they do, certain things that rules they follow to be pure before God. And so maybe we're just going to start something better. And Jesus is like, no, that's not all it's about. Uh, you know, and there's something in the heart of this being hard to receive that I think we tap into Peter with Peter, and we're not surprised with Peter because we knew Peter was a bit of. Like, he liked to, to brag. 
Peter was is a loud mouth. He was boastful. Uh, he got in trouble with that a lot of times. Um, and I don't say that thinking I'm not like him, <laughs> but uh, he was. And but it exposes in so many ways. Uh, there's a contrast between Peter and Jesus. Uh, if if love says, "Hey, I want you to know how special you are, and how special you are to me," insecurity would say. Hey, I want to know how special I am and how special I am to you. If Jesus was any other leader, like everything at some point, he would want to know from his followers, hey, I want to know that, that, that I'm special and that I'm special to you. I want to know that you think I'm special. But Jesus is laying that aside. He's laying that aside to love and show Peter, I want you to know how special you are how special you are to me. Yes, he is holy. Yes, I I would tremble in in his presence and probably fall down in front of Jesus when I see him, uh, but then run up and give him a hug too. I don't know, but uh, he uh, he is, yes, he is good. He may not be safe, but he is loving and good. So God's love is easy to understand in theory, but when we think of it applying to us, we can find it hard to believe and hard to receive. But finally, we know it's better than life. And this is the only way to have it. This is how we get it, that it's knowing that it's in receiving this gift. Receiving this gift. Jesus says, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who has betrayed him. So Jesus is saying, He's, he's, mixed, he's talking plainly, and he's also speaking with metaphors. He's saying, look, I'm washing feet here. Um, this is a, the fact that I'm washing feet is important. Uh, the fact that feet are being washed is just that, like, hey, you've all bathed in general, and your feet just need to be washed. Uh, but this is a task that is normally so menial and so uh, demeaning that I'm doing this and showing my love by doing this for you. Jesus is saying, hey, this is not like a whole ceremonial thing. Like we don't have to go around, uh, you know, like to be spiritually clean, washing ourselves. That's not, he's saying, no, 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 Peter, you don't get it. He's saying, it is my blood shed for you that will make you clean. It is it is my love demonstrated to its end, to its utmost, by my washing your feet. It's my love for you by which you'll be saved. And he's saying, it's, it, the question is, will you receive it? Will you receive this love? Now, there's so many things that grab our hearts, so many things that, that grab our attentions, and and. Uh, God doesn't want us to live without passions and desires, uh, but but to turn them toward better things, to turn them toward Him. There's a theologian uh, that said, all the passions and cares by which we are brought into contact with the world, Christ always finds in us something to cleanse. Yes, all of our passions and, and cares, as He pursues us, he, he wants to cleanse those passions, not to cleanse us of our passions, but to cleanse our passions themselves, to sanctify our hearts, to dedicate them more and more to God and away from lesser loves. He, in the movie Gladiator, uh, Russell Crowe plays this uh, this Roman general who's captured and he's made into be a slave, 
And, and as he's made to be a slave, he's made to fight as a gladiator in these rings, uh, in these matches. And because he's a very well-trained soldier, he does very, very well at this task. And he brutally defeats everyone they bring to him. And at one point, it's an old movie I know, uh, at one point he looks to the crowd and, and throws his sword and says, are you not entertained? And this is the moment where he begins to, uh, to, tr- to try to turn, and if anything by accident, to turn the hearts of the people of Rome away from what they had put their hope in and towards something better, towards freedom. Away from the cruel leadership they'd been experiencing and what they had to resort to for entertainment as a result. Uh, and then towards freedom and a better kind of government. And he does this a little bit by accident, uh, but this is what he's uh, steering us towards. In the same way, there are all kinds of things our hearts seek, but Jesus is pursuing us to point us to better things. When we, when we can, uh, you know, with, uh, let me just say, with, with charity bingo, uh, receiving that, like that really barely cracks the surface of what's going on in my heart, I think in all of our hearts. And in Peter's heart, is that we, just in general, it's not that we don't want to receive a small thing. We don't want to receive uh, something that is given uh, freely as a gift. This love of God is, is so great that it can, uh, as, that it, it can almost bring out. Uh, two different reactions in us. Bring out a reaction of, no, that is too good to be true. I don't want to admit that I need that. But when we admit that we need it and see that it's there, it becomes like a spring of living water. It becomes refreshing. It becomes everything. It becomes better even than life. Better than life. I think Moses experienced this a little bit when he was getting the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai from God. He, uh, he was, well, then he went down and he broke them because Israel was uh, making idols. Uh, but when he went back up, uh, God said, you know what, I'm going to wipe out this nation and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and Moses at this point, I think, had experienced God's glory and his love, uh, having led Israel the way he had, having served Israel the way he did, in, in such a way that he, uh, he felt like interceding for Israel, saying, you know what, no, 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 don't make me into a nation, but redeem this nation that has turned its back on you. And, and he says, but Lord, show me your glory. And so later, God says, well, you can't really see all my full glory because no one can see my face and live, but I'm going to hide you in a crack. I'm going to walk past you. And as I walk past you, uh, you'll see just my back, uh, but, but then you can see me then. And God does this. And as God shows him, Moses, his glory, he says these words. He says words of who he is. That he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, but, as we know later, who will instead die for the guilty that they may live. And here Jesus is, like Moses, knowing that 
The nation of Israel has turned its back on him. Uh, and, and yet coming for this very moment, knowing that, that he will, instead of uh, himself becoming a great nation, that he will instead die for this nation that has turned its back on him. And this gift that he gives is something that must be and can only be received. Uh, as uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, an old scholar, once said, he once said whenever he looked at the cross of Christ, whenever he thought of it, he thought of the wounds of Christ, it's as if the wounds had uh, were speaking to him, and the words they said were, I love you. They weren't, shame on you, they weren't, pay me back, they weren't, you owe me, they were, I love you. This is what love is. Jesus shows it to us. And so I pray for you this week that we'd be able to see uh, God pursuing us, our hearts, amidst life's joys, amidst life's challenges, to see God pursuing us. How has he been at work? How has he been at work in your life? Have you seen him do things shocking? Do you see yourself in disbelief at what God has done? And do you see that's by understanding, it's by learning to receive what he's given that we're transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to work in our hearts that we might receive your love. And not just receive it, but Father, knowing that, that we are your mission Father, we know uh, that, that this would fuel us to want to have others know you in this way. So we pray not only that you'd be glorified in us and in our response to you, but Father, that you uh, would also be glorified through us as we become your mouthpieces, as we, become, uh, as we carry your message with our feet uh, to those uh, who don't know you. I pray that we would uh, even more so be the church that uh, is a foot-washing community, experiencing your love and sharing your love. In Jesus' name for his glory, and with great thanks we pray. Amen.